Am I on now? Hey, there we go. Good morning. How's it going? Good. Glad to be here. Good. I'm glad you're here. And, and let me just say, if this is your first time with us or you're brand new here, you're just kind of checking the church out, you, you could not be joining us at a more exciting and historic time in the life of our church family. Because this year, Lord willing, in just a few short months from now, we are breaking ground at our new West Campus out on the west side of Bella Vista. It's gonna be awesome. And this is a great, great thing. And I'm gonna encourage you to clap for that because that is a big deal. Some of you are like, do I clap? You know, we're sure I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna coach you. We can clap for that. I, it really, it's not the only thing happening this year, but let me tell you, 2022 is gonna be a great year, and that, that right there is gonna be part of it. And uh, here, here soon, we're gonna tell you about our groundbreaking ceremony uh, that's gonna be coming up out there. It's gonna be a wonderful day, unifying day as a church as we look forward to, to God expanding our church family as we venture out into a multi-site ministry, and uh, it, it's just gonna be great. So you are coming in at a very exciting time if you're brand new with us. I'm so glad you get to be a part of it as well. Last fall, we started a series called Origins, and we pressed pause during the Christmas break so we could focus in on, you know, studying more about the birth narrative of Jesus and that other series, but today we're coming back to it, where, right where we left off, and, and let me just remind you a few things. Um, the name Genesis means origins, and this study is all about the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. It's about our origin story. It's about our beginnings. Genesis is our heritage. And you think about why are things the way they are today? You can trace many of those answers right back to the book of Genesis. It, it, it unpacks for us why things have been set in the motion the way that they are. Now you might recall when we started this series, I, I, uh, I, uh, I said this, knowing where you came from says so much about where you're going. And to me, when I think of Genesis, nothing's more true for us today as a Christian. When I think about where we came from and what we learn in Genesis, it just tells me so much about where I'm going as a Christian today. God wants you to know where you're going and he has clearly unpacked for us details about where we are going that we can trace back to Genesis. So I've really enjoyed studying this so far and I think you guys have as well, but it has been five weeks since we were in Genesis and many of you are probably like, oh, I haven't really thought about Genesis much in the last five weeks. We've been talking about the birth of Jesus. So let me just refresh you of a few of the important details to kind of catch us back up and to get us back in the flow of the book of Genesis. Genesis starts with creation. We learn all about how God created. Then we learn about Adam and Eve and how they disobeyed God and they were cast out of the garden. We learn about the first murder in the Bible. Cain killed his brother Abel. As you track with the story, we find out that man populated the earth and, and they grew very wicked as they did so. So corrupt did mankind become that God regretted that he ever made mankind and he decided to wipe mankind off the face of the earth except for Noah and his family, he saved them through an ark. After the flood was over, we learned real quick that sin is still a problem. How do we know that? Noah grew a vineyard, and what happened? He got drunk off of his vineyard, and it's just like, oh, yep, sin is still a problem. Man begins to repopulate the earth, and many nations and different people groups are created from the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
Then, as time goes on, man continues to defy God. There's still wickedness in his heart. And instead of spreading out and filling the earth with people, they decided to circle up and build a giant city with a tower all the way to heaven. And God said, nope, none of that. And you know what he did? He confused all their languages and spread them out. And mankind continued to populate around the earth. That is the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. And it's filled with disobedience and murder and deception and drunkenness and rebellion. And I remember asking you this question when we finished chapter 11. And that question was this. If you were God at the end of chapter 11 in Genesis, what would you do with all of these wicked, rebellious people? And I remember some of you are like, toast, clear the earth, with, get rid of them. You know, because our human nature is like, if I was God, I would wipe them out a second time. That's what I would do. But that's not what God did, did he? Because starting in chapter 12, God called a man and his wife to leave their home and go to a place that they had never known before. And in doing so, God gave humanity a brand new beginning. This husband and wife will ever, forever be remembered for their great obedient faith to God for that. Abraham and Sarah were their names, and God will work through Abraham and Sarah to ultimately bring about the the Jewish nation, which would ultimately bring us the Bible, ultimately give us our Savior, Jesus Christ. So before we took our break in December, we were unpacking Sarah and Abraham's story, and we learned all about their ups and downs, their great decisions, their poor decisions, the twists and turns of their lives. We were unpacking all of that while they were waiting for what? God promised them what? I'm gonna give you a son. And out of that son is gonna come a mighty nation out of your family. And they're gonna be more numerous than the stars in the sky. So God has this promise to Abraham and Sarah, and it's taken a long time for that promise to be fulfilled. And so we've been tracking with their journey. And, and by this point, um, we're up to Genesis chapter 18, by the way. So if you got your Bibles, can turn over to Genesis chapter 18. That's where we're going to be today. That's where we left off in November. By the time you get to chapter 18, Abraham's pushing 100 And Sarah, his wife, is pushing 90. So they're not spring chickens anymore, okay? Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and just let him know. Abraham and Sarah, they're not spring chickens, all right? they're, they're, They're about 100 and about 90, all right? All right. And and as we saw in chapter 17, God once again emphasizes this promise. He's done this several times now between chapter 12 and chapter 18. Um, It's gonna be on the screen behind me. You don't have to look it up. But in Genesis 17, verse four, God told Abraham again, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. He's getting him ready for what is about to happen. If you jump down a few verses to verse uh, six, God said, I'm gonna make you very fruitful. If you jump down to verse 19, God says, your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you'll call him Isaac and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And then, and then God sealed this covenant with the sign of circumcision. And that was the sermon that Jason French preached from CIY while I was gone. I was happy to allow him to preach that sermon that day. So he seals that covenant with the sign <coughs> of circumcision. <clears throat> So as we begin chapter 18, we know this about this promise. Excuse me. I've been fighting something this week. I don't know about you. Anybody else been fighting a little bit of junk in the air? And uh, Thursday, (coughs) 
excuse me, Thursday, I was flat on my back and I, I texted Pastor Cody and I emailed him my manuscript for today. I said, good luck, buddy, you're up this weekend. Because I didn't think I was going to go. And he's like, oh, really? And uh, so anyway, as of yeah, Saturday, I was feeling so much better. I was like, I'll do it. And I am feeling so, so much better. Pray for my wife, though, and my son. They both, whatever I had on Thursday, they got today. So we would not turn down any prayers. So if I have to cough a little bit, I'm fine. Um, I just have to get it out sometimes. Um, I took my COVID test. It was negative. So I guess I'm, I was normal sick this year. And um, I, I guess it's nice to know that normal sick's still around, I guess. But anyway, I'm good. So I appreciate those that prayed for me that knew about it. But anyway, so if I take a drink of water, that's all that is. So as we begin chapter 18, here's what we know. Abraham and Sarah have been told that in the next year, God's promise is gonna be fulfilled. They know that within a year, they're gonna have a son. And, and it's gonna be reemphasized again in chapter 18. So, so they know this and they're waiting on this. And this is a promise that... That they've been waiting on for 25 years. But before Isaac is born, a very significant event is going to take place before his birth. This significant event that I'm referring to is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. God is going to destroy these cities. And it's a significant event because even to this day, Christians are debating why God destroyed those cities and the reasons for why God destroyed them, do they still apply to certain lifestyles today? And some of you know the discussion that I'm referring to, but it's still hotly debated. The destruction of these cities is mentioned multiple times throughout both the Old and New Testaments, even talked about to this day. Now, next week, we are gonna be right in the middle of that. That's chapter 19. But before the destruction of those cities, Abraham and his wife get three visitors to their home. One of those visitors is God himself, and the other two visitors are angels. And that's chapter 18, and that's what we're gonna unpack today. And I think you're gonna be amazed at what happens from this visit from God and these two angels. Let's look at it. Genesis chapter 18, verse one, starts like this. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Now, something I would like to point out to you here today, if you've been tracking with us all through Genesis, especially from chapter 12 to now, the Lord appearing to Abraham here in chapter 18 seems like it's a very personal visit. It seems like there's something very personal with his relationship with Abraham um, at this stage in his life. It's gone from God giving Abraham some visions and some limited communication to now we see here in Genesis 18, God is making a personal house call on, on Abraham. You know, there's, there's a, a verse in the New Testament, it's found in James chapter 2, verse 23, that it references the fact that Abraham was God's friend. There's two other references in the Old Testament that speak of Abraham and God in that same language. It's reference to um, Abraham being a friend of God. Now, to my knowledge, Abraham is the only person in the entire Bible that has that distinction of being God's friend. Now, what was the nature of this relationship? How were they friends? You know, that's it's hard to really determine, but maybe right here in chapter 18, we get a little bit of a picture into the kind of relationship that Abraham had with, with God. He's his, he's his friend. And this is no little thing to be called God's friend. 
I think what we're about to read is evidence of that friendship. But on this particular day, God makes a personal visit to Abraham. And the Lord had two others with him. Their appearance was, all three of them were appeared as men. But as we read further in the text, you're going to see that these two that are with God are clearly identified as angels, um, which is a great reminder to us today that angels don't always show up dressed in white, shining and putting fear inside of every person, okay? These angels showed up looking like ordinary, everyday guys. And it kind of reminds me of something that the, in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews wrote the church about. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse one and two, I, I find them kind of similar. The author of Hebrews said, keep on loving one another, keep loving the brothers and sisters, and then he says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Some translations say, have entertained angels unaware. The, the idea is, you have interacted with angels and, and not even known it. So his advice was, hey, show hospitality, love one another, you never know. It might be an angel. You know, I've asked every service that, uh, so far uh, this question, but do you think you've ever had an experience with an angel? Yeah, there's head nods through here. Every service, every service was like, yeah, absolutely. And after, in between services, some of you come up and told me your story and uh, of your interaction, and I'm kind of like, yeah, probably was. That sounds, sounds, like, sounds like that's what it would be. I personally can't think of a time in my life that I know I had an experience with an angel, but I got friends who have shared some stories with me and some missionary friends who have shared stories with me that would blow your mind. Blow your mind. I would say that if you have actually had an experience with an angel, there is a really good chance it had something to do with hospitality. That seems to be like, like what, uh, what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Abraham's encounter with these two angels and with God also had to do with hospitality. And you're gonna see here in what we're about to read, Abraham show tremendous hospitality to these three visitors. Look, look at verse three. Here's what happens next. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Uh, let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant, very well, they said, do as you say. So Abraham hurried to the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, uh, get three says of the finest flour and knead it to make some bread. And then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. And then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. You know, it would be really easy for us to just kind of read these few verses from Genesis 18, just let them pass right on by us and go, yeah, this is about Abraham and Sarah showing hospitality to these visitors. But can we just call a timeout real quick? Can we just press pause for a minute and understand exactly what is happening right here in these verses? God himself takes on the form of a man and he visits Abraham at his home. That's what's going on here in chapter 18. God visits 
Abraham at his house or tent. And how did Abraham know it was God? Well, it says right here in verse three, he says, my Lord. So Abraham knew who this was. And I've got a question for you. What would you do if God showed up at your door today? I mean, what would you do? I'm not exactly sure what I would do if God showed up at my door. I often think about stuff and I'm like, that would be a great title of a book. The day God showed up at my door. You know, I'd read that book. Would you read that book? I probably would. You should read it if I wrote it for sure, but no, I'm saying. (laughs) The day God showed up at my door, that would be quite a book. I don't know what you would do. I don't know what I would do, to be honest with you, but we know exactly what Abraham did. When God showed up at his door that day, Abraham immediately serves him, and there's just something about Abraham's actions on this day that provide for each one of us today, if we're paying attention, a tremendous example of how we should also serve the Lord, a tremendous example of how the church today should come together and serve the Lord. This is what chapter 18 to me, these first 15 verses especially, ring true. This is how you serve the Lord. And Abraham shows us. Now, there are several characteristics about his serving that I think every one of us should emulate in our lives. And I would hope that all six of these that I'm gonna share with you real quickly would just ring true in our church family. The first characteristic that I see about Abraham serving is this. Abraham served the Lord personally. Personally. Now, let's take an inventory. What is Abraham's life right now at this point in his life? Let's just be honest about it. Who is Abraham? He's a rich old dude. That's who he is at this stage of his life. He's a rich old guy. He's, he's 99, pushing 100 years of age. And do you know how easy it would have been for him to just call all of his people together and say, hey, you do this, you do this, you do this, and you do this. But that's not what he did. You might recall if you rewind the story back to chapter 14, Abraham's nephew Lot gets taken captive and Abraham rounded up what? 318 trained men in his household and they went up and they, they rescued Lot. Well, I, I tell you that to remind you, Abraham's got people, all right? He's got lots of people in his circle and, and he could have just said, you do this, you do this, but that's not what he did. Abraham got off his backside and he served the Lord personally. He took matters into his own hands and he served the Lord by his own sweat. He got his own hands dirty by the own sweat on his brow and he saw to it personally that the Lord was served. There's something about where Abraham is at in life and what he does in response when God shows up at his front door. He serves him. The second thing that I see Abraham doing is he serves him immediately, immediately. Abraham is resting when God shows up. What does the Bible tell us? It is the hottest part of the day. They don't got AC in those tents, you know. And so they're all hanging out um, by the entrance. Probably everybody is taking their afternoon break, letting the hottest part of the day pass them by. You know how easy it would have been for Abraham to say, hey, fellas, welcome. My house is your house. But you know, it's pretty hot right now. And you understand that, right? I mean, you you need to rest too. So as soon as it gets a little bit cooler, I'm gonna have some of my people come in, get you some water, you can clean up. Hey, later on, around dinner time, I'll get you something to eat. We got some leftovers in the fridge. It's gonna be good, you know? He could have done something like that. But no, 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 no. He immediately hops to his feet and he begins to serve the Lord because this isn't just anybody who showed up at his door that day. He served God. Abraham also served the Lord, I'll use this word, speedily, speedily. 
There's a sense when you read the text that, that Abraham is moving as fast as his 99-year-old legs can move, okay? So what's it say in verse two? He hurried to meet these visitors. What did it say in verse six? He hurried back in the tent and he told his wife Sarah, quickly, let's get some bread together. In verse seven, he ran, that's the language of the Bible. He ran out to where his herds were and he picked the choice calf that's gonna be used for the meal. And it was only after the Lord had been served in verse eight that Abraham stops doing anything and he has some calm in his life. He's in a hurry and he serves the Lord speedily. Second, next thing I see about Abraham serving the Lord is this. He serves the Lord generously, generously. He gave the Lord his very best. You might see in verse six, what does he say? Sarah, let's get some bread made from the finest flour. Not the cheap stuff, the good stuff. And he ran into the field and he personally picked the best animal, the very best one. This is the one that we've been keeping our eyes on since the day it was born. This thing is perfect. You know how good this is gonna be? We're gonna give that one to God. That's the one that we're gonna use. You think about where we are in the history of what God's doing with people. This is at the very beginning. We're at the starting line of God creating a brand new nation out of Abraham's family. And right here at the very beginning, Abraham's like, you're getting my best, God, my most generous gift I can give you. That is a far cry from what the nation of Israel would become many years later. In fact, if you were to flip to the very end of the Old Testament, you're gonna come to the book of Malachi. And the book of Malachi is, is, is basically, you know, it's how the Old Testament ends and it really paints a bleak picture of how the people of God are before Jesus comes. Malachi, speaking for God, he absolutely rips the priest of God a new one over their lack of generosity and their lack of serving the Lord in the right way. Malachi just, you should read the book of Malachi, it won't take you but just a few minutes, but you should just see how, how God lays into these priests through Malachi of, of what they were doing. They were giving God uh, their leftover sacrifices. They were giving God second-rate sacrifice. They were bringing their diseased animals and the animals that nobody wanted, and they said, we'll give that to God. We'll just let him have this, because this, this nobody wants this stuff. Just give that to God. Let that be the sacrifice. And God's like, how dare you? After all I've done for you, bring me this stuff. What a contrast between how the nation of Israel begins with Abraham and how it winds up right before Jesus comes. It's a tremendous contrast. Abraham served the Lord generously. Abraham also served the Lord humbly, humbly. From the second these guys showed up, Abraham, what did he do? He bowed down before them right away, a show of humility. He said, my Lord. In verse three and five, Abraham refers to himself as a servant of the Lord. And once his visitors were served, we see Abraham standing off by a tree, just waiting. If they had any needs at all, he could just snap right to it and serve. And, and, and what else do we see about Abraham's humility here? He served the Lord when he was supposed to be resting. I'm tired, but that doesn't stop me. Humble people serve the Lord when they're tired. Humble people say, this is the Lord here. I don't care what it costs, I can do it. It's the Lord. Everything about Abraham at this moment was humble in that moment of time. Finally, Abraham served the Lord cooperatively. Sure, he served the Lord personally, but yet he also involved others. 
So he's serving the Lord. He brings in Sarah. She's making the bread. You know, somebody else dresses the meat after, after Abraham picks it. You know, it makes sense that somebody else made the curds and the milk and helped prepare the meal. He didn't do everything. He brought other people. And I, I sit back, I go, isn't this a wonderful picture of how believers should be today within the church? All of us using our gifts and abilities to come together to serve the king? Something about this that speaks to me. I'll tell you, these characteristics that Abraham displayed when God showed up at his door honestly are no different than how we should be today in our service to the Lord. And God's not gonna show up at your door, I don't believe, like he did it with Abraham. I don't believe God's gonna do that. But God did show up into the world as Jesus. Years later, Jesus would come. And Jesus would suffer on a cross and he would die there he would shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. It was Jesus who said to us that God so loved the world. He loved people so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So friends, I don't believe that the Lord is gonna show up on your doorstep in the form of a man just like he did with Abraham. But I can tell you through the death and resurrection, he did come and absolutely knock on your door. Every one of our doors have been knocked on by the Lord and he knocks on your door like he describes in Revelation chapter three, verse 20. Jesus said this, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. No, no, the Lord still knocks on your door. And the question is, have you opened the door to him? Are you at this moment enjoying this wonderful, saving relationship with your heavenly father who said, I'm here, and you opened the door and said, come and eat with me, and he ate with you, and you are now saved. I'll tell you, if you've opened that door to the Lord, he has saved you, and he walks with you every single day of your life. And if the Lord has saved you, and if the Lord is walking with you, then the question becomes, do you serve him now personally? Do you serve him immediately? Do you serve him speedily? Do you serve him generously? Do you serve him humbly? Do you serve him cooperatively with, with other Christians? How are you serving the Lord today? Abraham teaches us something about it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. After they're eating, there's a question that gets raised at their, at the, as while they're eating. If you look at verse nine, let's, let's look at this question. Where's your wife Sarah, they asked him. So obviously Sarah's not right there at the moment. Where's your wife? There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening to at the entrance to the tent, which was behind them. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Do you kind of get the picture of what's going on here? God and these two angels are eating. Abraham is close by. Sarah's in the other room, but she's listening, and I would be too if God was in my home eating my cooking. <laughs> and one of them says, where's your wife? She's over there. 
She's gonna have a kid next time. This time next year, I'll be back. She's gonna have a kid. And Sarah is like, <laughs> really? After I'm now so old, I can't really. And here's what's interesting. Look at this. Then the Lord said to Abraham, verse 13, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Boy, can you imagine? She probably perked up like, what? Have you ever been eavesdropping and then you realize they know you're there? I think it would be the shock of her life. Hey, why? Why is she like this? And then, and then God said this, verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh, but he said, yes, you did laugh. Wouldn't you just love to be a fly on the wall like this? God says, nothing's too hard for me. Why'd you laugh? I didn't laugh. It flat out says she lied. Listen, these are great people. They are not perfect people, okay? They are not perfect people. God doesn't use perfect people because they don't exist. It's an interesting. You know, when, when, when it says in verse 12 that, that Sarah laughed, I, I want to make sure that we understand, I don't think this was like a comedic moment. I don't think it was a ha, 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 you're so funny. I don't think it was that. It's hard to read humor and personality and emotion into text. It's hard to do. I'll just tell you what I think. I think this is the laugh that Sarah may have laughed. I think it was like, yeah, right. I think that's more what it was. I think it was more like, <laughs> he's been saying that for 25 years. It ain't gonna happen. Look at me. Look at him. <laughs> ain't gonna happen. I said it's not a comedic moment. Maybe a little. I think that's really more in line what, what, uh, what that laugh was. It was a disbelief. Ain't gonna happen. <laughs> Not gonna happen. It's at this moment, in this part of the text, I think there's two really important truths about God that we need to, to remind ourselves of. And the first one is this. God does know everything. And I hope you know that. From the very first moment that we're introduced to God in, in Genesis chapter one, we learned that he is the God who spoke into creation the heavens and the earth and everything in the earth. This is the God who created mankind in his own image. This is a God who knows our thoughts. This is a God who knew that Sarah was in the other room listening to this conversation. He knew why she laughed. He knew her motivation. He called her out on it. Friends, God knows everything. He knows what you're thinking right now. Everything. And I wonder today if there is any declaration that the Lord has made and our response is like Sarah's. Yeah, we'll see. Is there anything that the Lord has promised or anything you've read in scripture or something you believe in your heart but deep down inside you're like, eh, whatever, it ain't gonna happen. I believe that maybe today God just wants me to remind you he knows what's on your mind. God knows everything he knows our doubts. He knows our disbelief. He knows those times when we're not sure. He knows. So why try to hide anything from him? He knows. 
We know in the New Testament, there were many times Jesus, knowing the thoughts of his accusers, called them out on it. Why? Because he's God. He knows everything. And there's a second truth that, that rings out loud and clear from this interaction with God and Abraham and Sarah. It's actually a truth that we hammered down pretty hard on uh, when we were talking about uh, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and we saw this come out loud and clear, and it's this, nothing is too hard for God. Even the Lord said, nothing is too hard for me, is what he's saying. God proposed this question directly to Abraham after Sarah laughed, is anything too hard for me? And we sit here in church today and we know the obvious answer is no. Of course not. That's the church answer. It's easy for us to say that today, sitting in church. No, nothing is too hard for God. It's making Sarah a mom at the age of 90 is not too hard for the Lord. And yet she laughed at the idea. You know why God waited for her to be 90? before he gave her a child, so that no one could ever say that anybody other than God did it. That's the whole reason. Now, now we, we've been spending a lot of time the last month talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. You know, it was, it was when we learned about her story, when she said, how am I gonna be a mom because I've never put myself in a situation where that's even remotely possible. And do you remember what the angel told her in Luke chapter one, verse 36? He said, nothing, or excuse me, verse 37. He says, nothing is impossible with God. It's interesting. We're, here we are, and I've tried to bring this out in the last few weeks. We've got these two miraculous pregnancies here that we've been talking about. You have Sarah, who is 90 years of age, and it is impossible for her body to produce a child. And you have Mary, who has never been with a man, and it is impossible for her body to have a baby. And that is the whole point. Nothing is too hard. Nothing is impossible with God. And you have two completely responses to this reality. Sarah, she laughed at the idea what did Mary say? Well, I'm your servant. May it be to me as you have said. Friends, we go through these seasons of life that sometimes we respond like Sarah and sometimes we respond like Mary. Of course God can do it. I'm gonna be right there when he's ready. And other times we're like, yeah, right, we'll see. It's the world we live in, but God knows everything. God knows. But listen, I feel like God just wants me to remind you he can do it. And this question about God's abilities is something that we should probably spend more time reflecting on in our own daily walk with the Lord. You know why? Because we are no different than Sarah. We are no different than Mary. And right now, I know for a fact, some of you in this room are facing down problems and circumstances in your life, and your response is very much like Sarah's. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll see. I don't know if God will do anything. I don't know if God can handle this. It's too big. And I'm here to tell you, it's not too big. Because nothing is too hard for him. And I have a question that I think you should wrestle with. What area in your life right now do you need to believe that nothing is impossible with God? What specific area in your life right now do you need to walk out of here believing today nothing is too hard for God? And my follow-up question to you from that would be, what keeps you from believing it? What keeps you from believing that? You know, I think that'd be a great question for you to wrestle down with your life group this week, 
In fact, it is one of the questions on your study guide. And those are available out there in the atrium. And uh, they're very close to where you usually find them. Um, I don't know if you noticed, we repainted the atrium during Christmas break. And I think it looks awesome. The walls are repaired. But we haven't decided what we want to put back out there. So where they normally are at, they're just going to be at a table on an acrylic holder. And you make sure you go home with your study guide today. A lot of our life groups are firing back up this week after Christmas. And also, those are, uh, that same study guide is in your app as well. You can access it that way as well. Some of you prefer to do that that way. So after the meal, God and these two angels and Abraham, they're starting to wrap up. You can just see they're kind of wiping their mouth. They're brushing off their hands, brushing off their clothes. They're getting up to leave. And you have this amazing moment with God and these two angels. It's almost like, you know, Abraham maybe is clearing some plates and, and, and God circles up with these two angels. And, uh, and the Bible says that they looked out in the direction towards Sodom. You know, that, that wicked city that Lot's living in. And God, God says to these two angels, hey, should I, should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? It's, it's really interesting. Like, hey, you know what we're about to do. Should we, see over there, should we tell Abraham what we're about to do? Huh. Well, you all come back next week. It's, it's pretty interesting. It's called a cliffhanger. <laughs> Lord, we give you praise for this day. And I thank you, Lord, for, thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, I, my prayer, our prayer is that we would take great notice and care with this example of Abraham serving you. And Lord, I pray that you help us be like that. That we would be people, Lord, who have heard your knocking at the door and invited you in, and we give you praise for saving us from the gates of hell and give you glory for walking with us every single day. And Lord, I pray you help us turn around and serve you in the most personal way that we know how. And that Lord, when we see it, we will immediately respond. Lord, we will serve you speedily, as fast as our legs can take us. And Lord, we're gonna give you our best and we're gonna be so generous when we serve you because you're God. And Lord, we're gonna do so with all the humility we can muster. And Lord, we're gonna do those with other believers around us cooperatively, like you designed the church to be with our gifts and abilities all coming together to serve the King. Lord, I would pray, we would pray that you turn us into that kind of church. That Lord, you would look down on us from heaven and say, oh, that's my people. Look at how they serve me. Lord, help us to be like that. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room today that has walked in this room doubting that you know everything and that nothing's too hard for you. I pray, Lord, we leave here, every last one of us knowing that nothing's too hard for you. And even though there are things in our lives that seem um, insurmountable, things that are hurdles that feel too high for us to get over, they're not too hard for you. They're not insurmountable to you. They're not too high for you to get over, Lord. So we trust you our faith is in you. And Lord, may that be the marker of each and every hour of every day of our lives that, Lord, you can do it.
and we believe in you. Lord, we thank you for being a good God who sent his son to die on the cross, to raise the life so that we can be saved. We will forever praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.